Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Matthew Penny is in the building. What up, Ben? How are we doing? I'm doing all right. We uh, It's Thanksgiving here in Australia. Now, we, we know that Thanksgiving is not actually a thing, but because I'm American and Laura's father is American, uh, we do a little family Thanksgiving deal. So... You know, we're we're excited to have it. We're just doing like a little little enclosed family thing where we decide to, you know, have some have some turkey. Maybe a little bit of ham, maybe a little bit of stuffing. Mm, yeah, there is a ham versus turkey debate. I'm I'm straight turkey. I was a little curious because when we were scheduling when this pod was gonna happen, you said you were doing Thanksgiving the two days later or something. So I didn't know if that was an Australia thing or this was an old Sam Vecini creation. We had ours yesterday, I guess. And did uh, you guys host? Yeah. We didn't. My sister did, mm. and her and her husband got a heated tent for outside to accommodate oh, wow. all the people. So we had about twenty five people, and he's a chef, so it was a, a fantastic meal. And then uh, we came home. I went to bed around eight thirty because I'm like, <laughs> that was it. That was a long day. I ate too much. We'll see you tomorrow. And uh, by the time I woke up. Went downstairs, gave it a few hours. We switched over the house to Christmas, so we're officially Christmas mode here. So once you catch up, we can uh, we can get on to the next holiday. Well, it's but funny. Quick turns, quick turns here in Boston. It's funny because we did our we did like the reverse because typically you do the Thursday, Thanksgiving, Friday, Black Friday shopping. We did Black Friday here, which is like sort of a thing in Australia, but not really like the deals are not quite as good the deals the bigger deals are like the day after christmas here in australia uh Mm. it's called boxing day in the commonwealth countries that's right uh but we decided to reverse it this year we did the black friday shopping on friday thanksgiving on saturday now which is when we're recording here i bring all of this up to say that well aware that paulo boncaro and Chet Holmgren, Duke Gonzaga are playing tonight. <laughs> typically, we would record because you saw it. <laughs> yeah, typically we would record after that game, and we talk about that game within and kind of break some things down. But uh, because I'm doing Thanksgiving today, Penny obviously did Thanksgiving yesterday. The timing didn't really work out in terms of finding a real window to be able to uh, do both things in a way that made sense. So we are. Just talking about basketball today 
And the way that we're going to do that is with a little NBA draft fact or fiction. Uh, we each have, I think, four questions that we're going to ask each other. Right, Matt? Uh, I have, yes, I have four. One of them is kind of like, I feel a segue into No Man's Land where you might have three to spin off, but let, let's stay with four to start. That sounds appropriate. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You and I, look, we, we go into every podcast saying, yeah, like, let's do like an hour, maybe an hour 10, and it ends up being like an hour 40. So, yeah. And then, and then hold on for the people that are, they're listening. Then we hit stop and say, man, we went too long, didn't we? It was 27 minutes too long. What happened? We just keep rolling. I don't know. I'd like yeah. it to be an hour. It, it never is. Yeah, like Penny has to put his like son to bed and I have to like go out and like see a movie or something and then we're 30 <laughs> minutes later and we're very still recording. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, very different worlds. No kids is a very different world than having <laughs> kids. Uh, no, no kids involves me and Laura staying up until 2 a.m. two nights ago watching Selling Sunset. Like <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. And I'm in bed at 8:30 before like the sun's officially down. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, uh let's let's just dive in. So our I'll start with a very basic one, right? Because I think that this is a good way just to kick off the discussion before we dive into draft heavy stuff. Fact or fiction, Matt Penny. This is the best most exciting start to a college basketball season that you can remember since you were playing uh, at UMass because mm. uh, people forget that you played <laughs> basketball in college at Massachusetts. Yes. I think my last year I started the first – I didn't start, relax. I, I, I played the first game against Dartmouth had a basket, so that was a exciting beginning to the year. People I'm forget. Gonna say, people forget. Uh, I'm actually going to go with fact that this is the most exciting, and this might just be recency bias because we haven't had a traditional last like year or two. But it, it feels now. Now today, it's also the end of all these tournaments, and, and guys seem cooked. Like they seem absolutely spent out there. Yeah. Uh, like UConn seems really tired. I, I just watched Kansas State and Dayton won on a crazy buzzer beater, but Oshai Abaji had like a fast break toward the end, and he dunked it, but barely. And it's, it's just legs. You just played so much in the, this tight window. But it's been exciting. It's been very unpredictable. Uh, like Dayton winning today after losing all these bye games, and then Kansas looking great, and they're four and zero, and they lose. You've had these marquee matchups where Gonzaga's now going against Duke tonight. They played yep. UCLA. Uh, UCLA played Villanova. Villanova was at there, and then uh, I was at Mohegan Sun. You had <clears throat> you had like almost an NCAA atmosphere for. Villanova, Tennessee, Purdue, North Carolina. So the stars are almost aligning with these preseason tournaments, these marquee matches to start. Really good players at the top, and it's wide open. That's what makes college basketball so fun is there's not a team right now that say that's a definitive champion. And we've also had history teach us that things change in the tournament. Like Gonzaga was a runaway, then Baylor was a buzzsaw. Uh, they were a, a, an underdog there. I'm glad it's 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 off and running. I've been watching basketball since ten o'clock this morning, so it's a it's a beautiful time to be a college basketball fan. Yeah, so I I agree with you that I think that it's fact. I think this is the most excited that I've been to watch a college basketball season start in. So what I've been doing this job now for seven years, something like that, seven or eight years, and this is definitely the most excited I've ever been about college basketball, and. I think there are a few reasons for it, uh, just in terms of the actual 
like logistics behind why this is happening. So you just kind of look at a number of the things that are happening within the ecosystem of college basketball. Players are older this year, obviously. Uh, there's not yep. as much. There, there are fewer mistakes, it feels like. Fewer like mind-numbing like disaster plays from freshmen. And that's because it's been harder for freshmen to break into the lineup. Having said that, there are also some really, really fun freshmen that uh, this 2021 freshman class, you know better than I do, obviously. I would say that it wasn't maligned, but it wasn't maligned because there was some real depth there for you know teams to get excited about, like guys that would be ranked around 100. Maybe the 100th ranked player was probably a little bit better this year than what the average is. But the top end, I think, was a little bit less exciting for people and were as big of you know the reason for that is why. Because we've been saying for a while that there isn't a number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft realistically right now. So I think that this freshman class has been pretty strong in terms of depth. There are a lot of exciting freshmen that have been really fun. Guys like, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like Tyrese Hunter and Taryn Armstrong at... Cal ba- California Baptist and Jordan Hawkins at Connecticut, like these guys that weren't necessarily top 50 recruits that have kind of broken out and are really exciting. Uh, number three, I think the transfer portal has really helped. Like the portal being as good as it's been for teams and allowing guys immediate eligibility, it allows more good players to play immediately. And on top of that, it also, I think, just gets guys into better fit situations that make more sense for their skill set. Oftentimes uh, the first commitment for college players, I think often can be ego driven and prestige driven. Whereas the second time you commit, I think you're oftentimes looking a bit more about play style and just getting on the court. Right. So I think guys tend to find their level and guys to find better tend to find better situations whenever they decide to enter the transfer portal as a general rule, not necessarily as an all-encompassing rule. The third thing, I think that like the NIL thing has certainly oh, helped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keeping borderline players, you know, like Terrence Shannon or Hunter Dickinson or guys like that in college, like that's going to be valuable, like no question. Uh, fourth, I think that college coaches have generally been much more aggressive in terms of scheduling this year, which I love. It's great. Like it's so, so important. I think to play these really great games. I mean, like you said, uh, so many of these marquee matchups, I can't remember a season where we had so many positive marquee matchups. I really hope that coaches take this to heed and understand the college basketball, like has some real momentum right now for the first time that I can personally remember. And I think it's in part because Fans are excited about seeing good teams play one another. Having said that, the fifth thing is that it's just really good to see fans back in the stands, isn't it? Like it, it, it is, and it's kind of like a, a segue, a leapfrog. What you're saying too? Let's get these yeah. games on college campuses. I love neutral site; it's great. Totally. Let's go to Vegas. Everyone loves Vegas. It'd be a lot cooler if this is at Cameron Indoor. It would be a lot cooler if this was out in Gonzaga or you saw it at UCLA. And I complained. Because that UCLA game against Villanova was on so late. I mean, I was I was up. I watched it, but Pauley Pavilion was rocking. It, it was like it was ten years ago. These games matter. 
uh, let, let's get something at, at, at every field house that, that means something. We get something at Fog Allen. Uh, I, I love the marquee stuff. Uh, I, I get it. Like teams don't want to go on the road. Teams don't want to leave the state in, unless it's like an MTE type of deal. But the, the campus is the fans. It just adds that extra element to that you can't really capture at, at the pro level. Yeah, no, the, the atmospheres have been so great. And part of me wonders, like, is it because the fans just like went so long without being in the arena (laughs) in like a real tangible way um, that the atmospheres are just a little bit better or is it just that, you know, these games are greater and therefore have been more exciting. I don't know, but I think it's absolutely so, so great uh, that coaches have decided to play these marquee games. I really hope that they continue going forward into the future. Uh, Chris Beard, who has long been one of the most significant proprietors of like staying in Texas and not scheduling marquee games. Like you go back through his Texas tech history. I think he scheduled like two non-conference games on the road throughout his tenure there. I loved hearing him say, this is what college basketball is all about. We should schedule these marquee games on the road in Spokane, play Gonzaga there. Uh, the elite team should play one another at college campuses. Like, that was so great, I thought. Um, so I, hopefully I thought, there's a changing of the tide. When that schedule came out and said it was, it was at Spokane, I said, no, nah, it has to be wrong. Like somebody just t- typed that up wrong. That has to be in, in California, in, in Vegas, at Madison Square Garden. I love that quote from him too because he's always sort of said he embodies that toughness and wanted to play anybody, and now he's he's actually doing it. And it's not at the Hall of Fame Classic in Kansas City or, or something like that. Like going to the actual school and it it revs up TV stuff, it revs up fan bases. I mean, we we had a thing when when I was at UMass, like we beat we had like a home and home against UConn. They always beat us, but we, we caught them one year. Then we finished the home and home like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to drive down the road and, and play that game. Make, make it happen. The regional rivalries, the national rivalries. It's good for everybody. It's so, so great. Okay. Penny, you are up next. Let's, uh, let's dive into your set of questions. Okay. I'm taking a little turn. I also want people that are listening to know that Sam and I don't know each other's questions. So if we have any overlap, that's, that's because right. of it, and if if we uh, seem ill-prepared, that's because we are, aside from our, our knowledge of, of taking notes, Sam and his 50-page notebook, me on my ever-evolving Google Doc. My first question, my first fact or fiction statement is Jaden Ivey of Purdue has solidified himself as a top five pick. Okay, this is a fun one. I don't know if he's solidified himself. But I have them there right now. So let's say, let's say fact for now. Like I look, I listed Jaden Ivy at number five on my mock draft today that went live. Please go subscribe to the Athletic. We have a great <laughs> deal right now. Go subscribe to the Athletic. Use I think the promo code Game Theory. You will get a one dollar per month uh, for one year subscription. It's the best way to go subscribe. Uh, You'll support Matt. You'll support me. Uh, It'd be great. So please just go subscribe. Uh, You will see there that I have Jaden Ivey at number five. So I I have to say fact on this, on my updated mock draft, if only because I just did it. On my personal board, I think I would have him six, to be honest. Mm. But 
Uh, his game against North Carolina, I thought, was one of the absolute best prospect games uh, I've seen a player play this year. Uh, I, I would say that uh, you know a, cu- a couple others that stand out there. Kendall Brown against Stanford, I thought, was outstanding. Uh, I thought that Paulo Bancaro against uh, Kentucky in that opener was outstanding. I thought Johnny Davis against Houston was really, yeah, really good. Ball. Kind of yep. sneakily, uh, there have been some other really, really great ones. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, Oshai against Michigan State, I thought was really great too. There, there have been a number of them, but I really, really thought that Jaden Ivy, that three play stretch that he had with like nine minutes left in the game, where grabs and goes, like hits a crosswing kick out to Stefanovic at full speed for a three grabs and goes hits i think isaiah thompson uh on a cross corner kick for a wide open three in semi transition and then like takes a dribble handoff on three back-to-back plays gets to the basket finishes through contact and one basically like nine points in a minute that he was responsible for uh that took a tie game to a nine point game and it, it was like it happened before you could blink uh, and yeah. it's it was something that I feel like he could only do. If the question was, is he the best guard in this class? I think I would say yes right now, to be honest. Like, he's the guy that I feel most confident in, in his game translating to the next level. But I also buy the shooting in a way that some people don't. Uh, you look back through his history, he has a positive high school shooting history and you look back uh, at his college numbers and they haven't been particularly strong, but he's been a very confident shooter. And, you know, I've talked to big 10 coaches that have been like, yeah, you know, we, we thought that the play for us was to just like go under every ball screen and leave him open. But then you go back and you watch that North Carolina game. I mean, like he had a disgusting, like, hesitation crossover pull up going toward his right uh from three that it was like wait like if he can do that then it's just totally curtains so yeah i I think that right now i would i think i would have to say fact uh it's on the borderline but i would say fact what do you think Uh, i have fact i i have him at five definitely the the top guard for me i've just been so impressed on on how he's worked on his game like the, the passing stuff was never there he averaged totally. less than two two assists per game last year it's up to like 4.6 ish now but it's not like fake assists it's like momentum ones and the reads like he'll catch the ball and part of it's the way purdue plays like there's times when they slow it down they throw it to zach Eady. they don't yep. you know, stand around and look at him but it's like a different style then a, a shot will come off and he hits the jets and takes off in transition and the old jay nivey i'd think to myself he's going to force through traffic throw something up at the rim it's going to be a turnover but now it's like that kickout pass to the left corner was awesome but then he had another one in transition where he kind of like dumped it over his right shoulder for an assist it's just i, I feel like his vision has gotten so much better the, the scoring I have been worried about, the jumper's better, and it's just like those bursts that he has that can be absolutely game-changing. So uh, I like where he's heading. I mean, he he's done it against top competition, too. It's not one of these guys who has played four non-conference bye games were saying, well, it's good numbers. He hasn't played anybody. Like, he's produced. Purdue's been really good. And uh, if, if he keeps getting better, I think it'll be a definite top-five guy. I think we took him eighth in the mock draft, and, and now the field's low, which is uh, crazy a couple weeks later. Yeah, and the other thing that stood out from the Mohegan Sun games, the Hall of Fame tip-off, where they played back-to-back days against North Carolina and Villanova, was the completely different styles that those games were played at in completely different tempos. North Carolina was played at 
you know, what will arguably be the fastest pace that Purdue will play at this entire season, I would think. Um, I haven't necessarily looked at their numbers, but I would bet that in terms of tempo and in terms of the way that that game felt, it's the fastest that Purdue will play. And he thrived in that setting. Uh, you go back and you watch the Villanova game. That was played at a crawl. I think there were like 60 possessions in that game, probably. And he thrived just making decisions, making the right pass, making the right read. He had seven assists versus one turnover. Um, the ability to play at different uh, tempos, the ability to play at different play styles, really, really stood out to me in a very positive way for Jaden Ivey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any any other strong thoughts here on Ivy before we go? No, that's good. He, he can play anywhere. There. He can drop in any type of offense, and he showed that. Play slow, play fast, play middle-paced. He's there for it. Okay. My fact or fiction. <laughs> here we go. Kendall Brown has solidified himself mm. as a top eight pick Ooh, eight. in the 2022 NBA draft. I feel like we're, uh, we're reading off odds from Bet MGM right now. Eight. Well, I had Ivy, and, and I have to I have to update my own kind of personal master board here. I had Ivy up to five. I had Kendall Brown ninth, and I'd say one, two guys. I'd bump down. Ooh, I want to say fiction, but for right here, right now, if the draft was tomorrow, I'm going to say fact. He has another guy who had those early games and you didn't know if it was for real or not because he, he had the vision. He he exploded at the rim. He cut back door. He, he moved well in space, but he's continued to follow up. And, and even when the numbers aren't necessarily jaw-dropping, he's still making winning plays and getting up and down and putting the pressure on the defense. I, I felt like Baylor, and credit to Scott Drew, you win a national championship you lose some first roundish guys who were complete culture carriers, and they're like, ah, we'll just kind of like run the same playback with different personnel and do some tweaks, and, and here we are again. We just won another championship <laughs> to start the season. But for Kendall Brown, it, it's just a piece that has evolved, and if the jumper gets there too, it, it's an absolute no brainer for me. But who's on the board right now? If I'm, it's him versus the next prospect. He's done too much and showed there's still so much just scratching the surface of what he is for me to say he's not there right here on november 26th yeah i kind of got like i don't want to say killed but people questioned this whenever i said it but i I brought up the idea that baylor could lose davion mitchell and mark vital two of the finalists for national defensive player of the year last year and actually be better defensively this year I think that they are better defensively this year than they were last it's, year. It, yeah, and it's it's just the the cool thing is it's so different though too, right? It it's is. Like it's not it's not as based in Mark Vital being the anchor and rotating. It's like flying around and you don't know which guy on the wing is going to kind of like anticipate so a steal, get a deflection, jump on a loose ball, cause a trap, and they just keep coming at you too. Yeah, li- listen to these numbers in terms of defensive rating so far from Baylor. 84-9-77-4-56-1-73-5 against Stanford, who is a high major team, sort of, I guess. Uh, oh, 92 against Arizona State. Uh, 87-4 against VCU and 90.8 today against Michigan State. Uh, they've yet to allow 
above 92 uh, points per 100 possessions uh, in a game this year. They, they are so good defensively because they fly around. And I think Kendall Brown is an enormous piece of that. Uh, I think Jeremy Sohan is an enormous piece of that as well, by the way. I think that his ability to move around is really uh, at length as well at six foot eight has really kind of transformed their defense. They're just much bigger this year while maintaining the same level of athleticism. Like it, it's crazy. And Kendall Brown, the thing that I like about Kendall Brown, and by the way, I would say that I think this is the question that I pose uh, for now is a fact. Everything he does translates so well to the next level. Like he is comfortable handling the ball and attacking a closeout. He is an awesome switch defender who can guard one through four pretty easily. Uh, you go back and you watch him deal with guards. He has no problem sliding his feet. He has no problem no, no, doing no. that. Uh, passing ability. He's an excellent passer. He, he's had uh, a 10 assist game. Do you have a triple double in that nickel state game? I know he had 10 assists. Uh, he was close. He, he had eight rebounds. Rebounds. Yeah. Eight um, rebounds. Yep. He gets like seven or eight points a game just by cutting and grabbing offensive rebounds and getting out in transition. Uh, but you put him in the corner like he can pump fake, attack a closeout. He's shown the ability to make the occasional three this year. He's not making one per game, but like when he takes them, I'm not going to say I feel great about it because I think that he's still pretty hesitant to take them. But I think the release at the top is pretty clean, even if he has like a little miniature kind of gather uh, and load into the shot hesitation. Uh, it's almost like he has like a little hitch where he's like trying to find the seams on the ball is kind of what I've said. I don't even know if that's at, like, I don't know if it's accurate that that's what he's trying to do, but that's what it looks like he's trying to do whenever he tries to like catch and go up for a jumper uh, in a semi fluid motion. So, he finishes everything at the rim because he's an elite level athlete. Uh, he's a great defender. Uh, you could put him onto an NBA court right now, and I don't think he would look out of place as like right. the fourth or fifth best player on the court. And by the way, like that, that's a really, really high floor, I think. Uh, he's one, and if he ever shoots the ball at a high level, I mean, the ceiling is through the roof. Right, like he's uh, no, no, no question. I mean, the the guy yeah. right now, he's shooting seventy percent from the field, seventy seven zero. So he's taking high percentage shots. I know a lot of stuffs around the rim, but he'll, he'll take an occasional three, an occasional mid range jumper. But he's not one of these prospects that's having this identity crisis where, oh man, I'm a three. I thought I was a four. I got to take some jumpers. I can prove I can shoot. He's taken double digit shots once in in games, and like every game, he's six for seven, six for nine, four for five. Yeah, he's he averaging 12, still like 14 points. Correct. I mean, he had 12 points today on on 6-7 shooting, not like complete eye-popping stuff, but was a difference maker and, and helped force Michigan State into 19 turnovers. Yeah. Like and, that's, and the, that's the type of thing that he does. And he's been in double-figure scoring every single game, despite the fact that, for instance, today he took seven shots. Against VCU, he took nine shots. Against Arizona State, he took five shots and still ended up in double figures. Uh, you, you look at some of the guys that... Uh, you know, for instance, you and I were excited about coming into the year, right? Like Max Christie has had three or four games where he's been in single figures. Uh, Caleb Houston has had multiple games where he's been single figures, right? Uh, and Bryce McGowan's had the game against Creighton where he was in single figures, right? So, and those are all guys that get shots. Mm-hmm. Like their teams try to generate shots for them. Baylor generates some off ball looks for Kendall Brown. 
But his off-ball game, his floor game, everything he does whenever he doesn't have the ball, it translates at such an exceedingly high level that it's just going to be easy to have him on the court. And he's going to be easy in terms of being a real difference-making player. He is a high-floor player that also has a very high ceiling, and it's really fucking hard to find those guys, I think. And you don't have to run plays for him. And, and because the NBA is a, is a rookie, unless you're like a, a super duper star, they're really not going to run plays for you, but he can find his own, his own makes, his own offense, kind of transition, sort of. Oof, I'm like hesitant to say this, but like Toronto doesn't run like a ton of stuff for Scotty Barnes, but he's on that offensive glass. He's forcing turnovers, doing stuff at the top of the key. So it's like I, that I, type yeah, of. Yeah, I have a name on Kendall Brown that I've been floating Uh-oh. to NBA teams. Oh, who we got? I'll, I'll buckle in. This guy is better. Then okay, Kendall Brown I is so. for sure. <coughs> I'm worried. Uh, Go ahead. Sean Marion. Ooh, it's not bad. I mean, He's, Marion Sean was Marion is longer, longer and bigger, I think yeah. that because of that length, I don't know if he's taller. Like Sean Marion was like yeah, six seven. Like but, Kendall Brown's like you know six seven six eight something in that range. Kendall Brown's not quite as long, but that same level of insane vertical pop. Uh, that same ability to just make things happen off the ball, the switchable defense, the ability to rotate around the basket and block shots, uh, jumping passing lanes, uh, even down to like shooting the ball out in front of your face a little bit. Uh, you know, similar thing going on there with Kendall Brown with the shot, but like not <laughs> yeah. terribly like unclean uh, in terms of the release, even though the mechanics are a little bit wonky. That That's kind of the name that I've been wondering. Like, is he kind of the sean marion ish guy that just makes such a significant impact off the ball that he's just insanely productive even if he's not getting more than 11 shots a game and i'll leave it this before we move on to the next question it's a good comp too because the three-point shooting stuff for sean marion didn't come on until a little bit later too his, yep. his rookie year shot 18 percent from three. Second year 26 percent then his third year hits 39 that's 38 34 so it kind of hits that rhythm it, it gives kind of like proves to your point that might may take some time for kendall brown but he doesn't have to be like the shooter day one of the nba yeah okay let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll get to your next fact or fiction we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in june i need to tell you about securing your internet connection with nordvpn What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services as somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. 
Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Penny, we are back. We are ready to hear your next fact or fiction uh, statement slash question. I was a little worried. I thought you were going down this this path. Last answer here. Fact or fiction, Max Christie will be the first prospect drafted from the state of Michigan. Ooh, okay. Okay. So now, now I'm going to have to think about the state of Michigan. Uh, so we've got Michigan, Michigan State. Am I missing any teams potentially? I, I, I'm more so posing this is 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 Max Christie the guy? Factor Fiction is going to be drafted higher than Caleb Houston or Musa Diabate, who has fans as well. I will mention, sure. yeah, in, in the um, 40s, but working his way up there. Yeah, uh, trying to like just make sure I don't miss anyone like stupid. But yeah, that's um, that's a good question. Again, look, I had Max Christie ahead of Caleb Houston in the mock that I filed today. I think I would say fact. I also like I'm pretty sure I had Max Christie ahead of Caleb Houston in the preseason, which was not mm-hmm. a particularly popular opinion. So look, I I think that I'm more inclined to say fact, but like I I don't know that I don't know that I feel good about it. <laughs> like, I, it's one of those things where like neither of them have played well. You, yeah, you, you say yes, but it's like just a cliffhanger. Yes, I I think I, I'm I'm just as a uh, purely as a draft analysis evaluation kind of tool. It seems like, in, in at least the the draft Twitter space anyway, and a little bit of NBA teams, but not as much. We're giving both Max and Caleb Houston like a really long leash, like a really long rope of like they're just That's figuring it out. Can confirm but I, that. But I don't – they're both going to figure out. They're, they're fresh and that's fine. And you kind of struck first and, and you put, I think, Caleb Houston in the 20s now and, and Max bumped yeah. down a peg. There's just post-game, and, and we're all guilty of doing this, not being apologists, but sort of like, well, the mechanics look good on Max Christie's shot. Okay, shooting 33%, shooting 26% from three. It's going to get better. You're, you're going to adjust to speed and pace. Then Caleb Houston, it's, he's shooting 34% from the field, 26% from three. And that's after they played, I think, like Tarleton State last game, where he was like four for seven that helped his numbers. Yeah. And, so and by the way, on, on Caleb Houston, this is a guy that like, the, the track record has been mixed 
in terms of his shooting over the course of his career. Like you, you go back, you run through it and Caleb Houston made, uh, let, let me see the numbers here. He made 39% from three over 130 attempts at Montverde in his senior year. So great number over the course of his time with team Canada. He has shot like 24% on 99 attempts in three competitions from three. So, mm-hmm. I actually feel I feel better about Max Christie shooting than I do Caleb Houston, but they both have not made shots yet, and that feels somewhat concerning. I, I will say, like when I talk to scouts, like there is a real like Musa Diabate, like hey, this guy's really exciting and is like right there with those guys, kind of push. It, yeah, defensively, I, I see it. Like offensively, I think he had a major range jumper the other night when I was watching, but I, I don't necessarily buy the shot. Not that I. I buy the shot in the other two. Oh, and and by the way, like the shot is not the problem for me with Diabate. I think he has no idea what he's looking at in terms of feel for the game offensively. Um, Yeah, that that scares me if we're talking top end of the first round. Yeah, like I I have him in the 40s. I'm, you know, very interested just because of the motor, the way he he plays so hard, the athleticism, the switchability, um, the rebounding, his potential to shoot it. Like there is a lot there. But, yeah, the, the decision-making, the inability to see passing reads, uh, yeah, there's it, it's like a significant negative for Diabate yeah. right now. It could, it, like, he could figure it out, don't get me wrong, but th- there's, there's a lot to work out there, I think, still. Yeah, Mac's going to come alive a little bit. He, he's, he's okay to create his own shot, and I'm comfortable with that. Uh, I'm not, he's not worried about shooting over like the top of, of smaller guys. The the load in the mechanics all, all look right, but shots shots do got to fall. And uh, I'm anticipating kind of across the board that both those guys take a little bit of dip in the next group of, of mock drafts that come out. Still freshmen, still played single digit games, but it, you got to start kind of living up to the, the preseason hype here if you're going to be in the discussion to be a lottery pick. Yeah, and look, they certainly took a dip in mine. Um, I have them at nine and or I had them like dropping nine and 12 and, you know, et cetera spots. Right. And uh, do you have a future question about just like the general wing class that is here? Like all all of these Uh, young freshman wings that are struggling. I have a, I have a, (laughs) I have the same question about guards, but not wings. Okay. So let's talk about the wings here. So, there's this big glut of like freshman wings who scouts think long term are definite NBA players who are have just like not been very good right now, right? Like Max Christie, Caleb Houston, Peyton Watson is another one. AJ Griffin yeah. is obviously working his way back from injury, but like not in Duke's starting lineup right now. Um, Bryce McGowan's was not very good against Creighton in the only like real relevant game that Nebraska has played so far. And, um, Oh, by the way, they lost the opener to Western Illinois. Um, Mm. so like real, some real concerns in terms of the way that he impacts winning. We're going to get a much better picture of Bryce McGowan's coming up here, uh, against NC state, Indiana, Michigan in the first week of December. And I'm really, really excited to learn more about that because I think it's a critical piece of his evaluation, just how he plays against good teams. But the jury is still out is maybe the way to put it, even though his numbers are averaging like 20 points a game or whatever right now. Um, 
I'm trying to think. It feels like there are probably even more of those wings that have like uh, kind of struggled Cleveland a little, a little bit. bit, right? I mean, yeah, Matthew like Cleveland has a struggle, but it's just not like super over the hitch over the head number. He was good against BU the other night, but it's kind of like I got you on a, a dribble, you're on my hip, power through. He had like a put back to send it into overtime. Yeah. He did hit one mid range jumper, but not the most. And we use this word sometimes too much, but translatable. When sometimes yeah. you'll see a, an ISO play and say, "Well, that can happen anywhere." I thought for for Matthew the other night that play happened against BU. I don't know if it happens versus uh, whatever, say Kentucky, when you're, you're playing a non-conference, like, something like that. Like I, right. I don't know if it's working against Duke when when Paolo Bancaro switches on to you. So well, it, I, it's just it, it will be more more reps to see for him. But uh, I'm aligned with there's just a lot to be desired with the freshman wing crop. Well, and, and like another guy there that you know, Harrison Ingram looked like he was in slow motion against Baylor, like. Well, if you're playing against the guys that are, are jamming the turbo button all game long, and Harrison's going to play slow anyway, he, he's right. just this methodical forward, guarding a forward's body where we can cross you up and take you, but it's not the blow-by. It's it's you're a step behind, then he'll pump fake, hope you jump, then finish opposite. He's more of like a, a crafty quick than he'll ever be fast. I don't think anyone's ever going to say he's fast. No, totally I, that's not his game. His game is craft, his game is skill, his game is footwork. Um deception right yes i like deception having said that like the dude looked like he was literally in slow motion against baylor like there's a difference between like oh yeah like he's not as athletic as ken kendall brown and even like jeremy sohan like i thought jeremy sohan looked a lot more athletic than he did um and then looking like oh wait like his athleticism is a significant problem is he even like tries to blow by like Kendall Brown had like multiple moments where he was like a step and a half behind and just recovered to him. Right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm intrigued by Harrison Ingram. Don't get me wrong. Like I have a top 50 grade on him right now, but he's really going to have to shoot it. And he's, you know, only taking two threes a game and making them at 38%, but he's going to win by being an elite shooter. Right. So like it's a, it's a fascinating freshman wing class and some of those guys are going to explode and be great. We've already had Kendall Brown explode and be awesome. By the way, Patrick Baldwin is another guy we could throw into this like questionable group because scouts were not excited about his game against Florida and they didn't totally blame him for that. Uh, His guards in that game for people who didn't watch. I mean, it was an abomination watching them (laughs) try to play. the, The actual text you sent me the second half. Oh, it was terrible. You were like, are you, are you still watching? I said, I sure am. <laughs> I'm hoping yeah. for the tide to turn a little bit here. Because he, he actually did some things, too, where totally. I didn't think for bad. They were definitely forced because he, like, had to. It was like his man was on him at the top of the key. The wing was, like, already digging in, like, already helping. It's like, screw it. I got to take a step back three now. There's nothing else I can do. There's no escape valve here for me to do anything other than this. So no, he misses, it, and it looks right, but he misses, but he has to do it because two seconds left in the shot clock, and then they come down, dunk, press. It's, it's not a not a good formula for success. Well, and he, they had no chance to get him the ball in advantageous situations where, like, okay, he runs off of a pin down, like, okay, reverses back into a flare to potentially, like, get open or, you know, runs off of two baseline screens, catches a pin down, comes up, runs like a dribble handoff with the guard, and then, like, gets a bit of an advantageous situation to drive uh, on the reverse pass, right? Mm -hmm. The guards 
couldn't hold on to the ball for more than 10 seconds no. <laughs> without like getting destroyed. <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah, it was bad. We'll just leave it at that. It was bad. Having said that, he really checked out in that game. Like, really, really checked out. And mm-hmm. teams were not impressed with the way that, like, he just kind of turned it off. And that's always been a question with him, like right or wrong, whether or not you believe it's fair or not. um, Teams worry about whether or not he is someone that will check out when the going gets tough. So, yeah, that was was very that was very tough going. So I will defend him a little bit. You're down 25 on the road. You got no shot. The last like six, eight minutes is tough. No, he checked out before then. He checked out at like the (laughs) 16 minute mark. It was a complete checkout by then. He probably yeah. the scoreboard is like, there's there's just no way. These guys just keep pressing. There's no way. And look, like that happens, right? Andy's nineteen. Like shit happens when no, you're so nineteen. It, yeah. right? NBA guys like, check out. Like, no, they check out for whole games, whole road trips. Like it, it does right. happen. You don't you don't want a, a checkout guy, top five. I understand that part of it. But circumstances dictate a lot. Right. So th- there's a lot to be sorted with this freshman wing class, and we will see where it goes. Okay. Question five from me is one that you kind of posed to me over text, but I want to get your opinion on it. I've been really, really impressed with Tyrese Hunter out of Iowa Mm. State. Yes. Fact or fiction, Tyrese Hunter is a better prospect than Kennedy Chandler. Oh, God. You know what's so funny about this? (laughs) This this is why our our brains are aligned. This is messed up. So on my, my Google Doc, my Game Theory Google Doc, just for this podcast, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven bullets. The seventh bullet is I like him more than Kennedy Chandler. He's almost like a bigger Jacob Gilliard at Richmond. Is that good, though? <laughs> uh, I mean, I meant in terms of like defensive steals, pest up in your space. And, and they play Memphis where Amani Bates is six seven point guard and, and Tyrese Hunter is a, a generously listed six foot point guard. But I, I, I saw Kennedy Chandler against Villanova in person last week, and it just left some to be desired. And I tweeted about it. I felt it, too. It's not that Colin Gillespie is necessarily like a first-round NBA prospect, but I undersold like how much he's going to like get in your head and mess with you. Because Kenny Chandler tried to come off of pick and rolls, and Colin Gillespie bodied up and was like, no thanks, no thank you, this is not happening, like return to sender. Kenny Chandler just couldn't do anything and then they switched and, and brandon slater was on him he's like i don't want to do anything with this kenny chandler plays so fast without necessarily the changes of pace and we'll just throw up some crazy floaters that i didn't feel comfortable with him with the ball with tyrese hunter when i watched him the other day he just creates his own offense so often to get out in transition and despite being tiny i like his jumper a lot more he had one play where it was like a side ball screen for the right-hand side. He comes off with his left hand, like steps back, crosses over, then kind of like steps back again and keeps his balance and hits a three. I don't know if Kennedy necessarily like has yeah. that in his bag. So I'm starting to be a believer in Tyrese Hunter. Just just have to see more of it. But when, when you fill it up with 14 points, five assists, four rebounds, three steals, th- there's a lot there. Uh, I'll throw it back to you with kind of a counterpoint. And this is about smaller guards in general that I was watching the Kennedy Chandler game and I talked to two NBA scouts afterwards and said, who's the last smallish guard like this that it's like kind of has made it? Not not strong, not like Jose Juan Brea strong, but who's the last like six foot NBA guard that like this style works that translates? 
I mean, look, like the obvious answer is Trey Young, but he's not. But Trey. he's bigger. But he's not six feet tall. How big is Trey? Yeah, I'd say Trey's six one, but like Trey also has a negative wingspan, whereas Kennedy Chandler has a like plus four wingspan. Right, but Trey's one of these guys who I think is just like an outlier too. It's like right. not fair. Like, and that's why with some of the draft stuff, I'll be wrong because sometimes I'll just trust the data of this type of guy, the way he plays, will work more than like this outlier alien. And I'd rather maybe miss on him unless he's a generational star than go the other direction of it. Yeah. But I, it's just like, I don't know, like Kyra Lewis has been better like in the minutes he's had. Sharif Cooper has taken his lumps. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to be that small in the yeah. NBA. Like Aaron Holiday is a little bit like just stronger and longer than Kennedy Chandler. Um, but Aaron Holiday like might be like, is that close? He's six foot. Yeah, I know that. It's close. I mean, so, somebody said uh, Davion Mitchell, but he's so strong. Like they're, they're different yeah, bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, man, this is a hard question. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're layered here. I mean, Trey, Trey Young does say six foot one. So, like, yes, Trey Young is the answer, but he's is a it, top Is it Monte one. Morris? Sure. I mean, a, a lot of Mon- this is just play, playing into my point of yeah, we're I think Monte's for guys probably like a little bit bigger, but yeah. Kennedy Chandler and for, for Tyrese Hunter, we're, we're searching for, like, how it works. Yeah, even Monte Morris is six foot two looking at it now. Like that's, uh, I mean, we think Kennedy is going to be what, like five eleven, six foot. Sure, and, I, and I'm looking up at now. Monte Morris was drafted in 2017th draft, 51st overall. Yeah, but that was a fuck up on NBA teams' parts. Sure, but say 20 of them messed up, right? That's still the 31st pick. Yeah. Hmm. So Kennedy Chandler started the preseason in middle-ish first round. Hasn't been great. He shot it well before. The Villanova game that was better against North Carolina, but I didn't think they played particularly a lot of defense in that game. Is, so is the hope maybe campaign? Good. Campaign's the hope. We talked about this not, not years ago. We found this a few years, but like campaign was on what five different teams and figured yeah. it out, and now it's been good. But you don't take campaign 15. 15. Yeah. yeah. No. It looked like I. I took Kennedy Chandler like it right around the middle of the first round last time. Like, that's not actually where I have Kennedy Chandler on my board. Like, I'm not super enthusiastic about him. He's smaller, and I agree with you that like Tyrese Hunter to me, like Tyrese Hunter is more in the Aaron Holiday mold because he is a very good defender. He is big. He's stronger. uh, He can shoot. Like, there's quite a bit there. The problem that I have with Tyrese Hunter is. He has no floater game right now. He, I don't know how he scores in the middle of the paint, and that's actually a really important skill for NBA teams or NBA point guards to have. Uh, he's seven for 23 on like floater range shots. And then you go back and you watch the tape against I or uh, Xavier when Iowa State played Xavier. I think, I swear to God, Matt, I think he missed the rim on three floaters from like inside <laughs> of 10 feet. Maybe he lifted before his arms were just jacked up from the the health club. It, it was like it, it was it was that maybe <laughs> maybe but like it was a situation where like coach get in there and lift pregame. 
he looked so sped up trying to take the floaters. Like it was the only part of the game where he looked sped up was when he was like, Oh, I have to like kind of throw this floater up toward the rim. And that's a, not a normal part of his game, but it's a critical part of his game. If he's going to be successful in the NBA. And, and finding that mix of scoring versus facilitating because he will look to start the offense, but if that can't, thing comes back around a ball reversal, he's looking to go. Like he's looking to find his. And well, when he gets to the paint, he knows how limited he is size-wise. He'll stop by the rim and, and up fake and, and try to get guys to jump up there where there's times Kennedy Chandler will more like throw his body into and, and hope he gets a call. Right. So there's a little bit of a difference there. I, I feel like this is a, a good segue to my next question if you think that bow is, is tight enough. and It, it yeah, ties into this. Well, and, what and was it, your answer? I, did you say fact or fiction? Uh, fact. These are just these are all facts. This is the all facts podcast. I hope we have a, a fiction coming up here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I as much as uh, we cover the draft here, my fact or fiction was this is the worst crop of lottery lead guards since the 2015 draft. And let me just put a little bit of context on it, just to, to fire through yeah. here. 2021 in the top nine: Cade Cunningham, Josh Giddy, Davion Mitchell. 2020: Lamelo Ball. Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, Kyra Lewis. 2019, John Morant, Darius Garland, Kobe White. 2018, Doncic, Trey, Sexton. 17, Fultz, Lonzo, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Frank Nikolakina, Dennis Smith Jr. 2016, you can debate if this is a league guard or not. Yeah, we, we were really, really excited about that 2017 crop. I know that Fultz <laughs> and like yeah, Lonzo have become something different than what people thought, but at the time... The context was this is one of the best lead guard classes we've seen in a long time. So that that one's definitely better. Go ahead. Six, 16 in the, in the top seven. And again, we can kind of like split hairs on if these guys are really lead guards or not. But Ben Simmons, Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, Jamal Murray. Then in 2015, we had D'Angelo Russell, Manuel Moutier, the year before Alfred Prayton went 10th. So anyway, just like rifling off those names because I'm looking at it and I'm scrolling through your mock and I'm looking through my notes and I'm like, I don't know, like, who the guy is. Like, I, I had uh, – I did the pod with Andrew and Alex the other day, and they're like, do you think John Morant could become a – I'm sorry, not John Morant, jeez. Jaden Ivey could become a point guard kind of in that mold. And I said, I don't know, but it's an interesting question because we've talked about it. is Ty Ty Washington the first guard off the board? Like, I, I just need a little help here if, if I'm going as crazy as you are. This is a, this is a really good question. I would say that – Going into the draft, let, let's say like, you know, I, I did not necessarily think of Ben Simmons as like a quote unquote point guard, even sure. like coming into that class. So like, let's take him off the board. Uh, I, I thought that healed. the 20 you take him off. Yeah, but he's not a point guard. It was Chris Dunn. No. It was Jamal Murray. Jamal it was Murray. Yeah. Um, Wade Baldwin had some steam like yeah, to me a little the, bit later. The, yeah, the 2016 group is the one. Like that that's the one that's really bad if you take Ben Simmons off the board. Um even 2015 like there was a lot of steam behind D'Angelo Russell. Um there was a lot of steam behind Emmanuel Mudiay as well. Like people thought that it he was. could be a top 5 pick. Um yep. So like I I understand what you're saying, and I think that it's not wrong because then you go down campaign. I had campaign like in the 20s. Terry Rozier goes 16. I had him in the 20s. Uh, Jaron Grant, DeLon Wright, um, Tyus Jones, but like we're getting into like non-lottery guards, which is not the crux mm-hmm. of your question. Is this the worst 
because Since now then. now I'd say like the handful of guys, Ty Ty Washington, Kennedy Chandler, who's talked about, J.D. Davidson, Sean Montero, do you count him? Do you count I, I would Trevor throw Keels? for what do it's you, worth. I, I would put Jaden Ivey in this conversation. See, if you put Jaden Ivey in there, I think it changes it just a little bit. Not a ton, yeah. but doesn't make it as uh, the bottom falls off. I mean, do you, do you count Usman Dang? Like, probably not. But no, he's not a point. He's the, they're not even the, the breakers aren't running I'm, him at I'm point. I'm just trying they, to make they know this look a little bit, a little bit yeah. better than it could be. So I, so, I think yeah. if you include include Ivy, I, I still think it's it's the darkest it's been in in five years anyway. Yeah, if you don't include Ivy, it's definitely a fact. If you include Ivy, you have so you definitely don't include Jaden Hardy is like a combo like point shooting Probably card, right? Probably not. He's okay. he's firing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jaden's firing that thing toward the rim, and it'll go That's in little, but more, more, 40% of the time. Yeah, uh, if you're lucky. So the, the names that I'll consider here to answer this question, I, I will consider Ivy um, because I think that he is going to play point. I mean, we have talked about how much better his distribution skills have gotten. Yeah. I think long-term he's going to be a point. Ty Ty Washington. Do, you, do we count Dyson Daniels, who's playing point for the elite right now, or G League elite? Yeah, good point. Sure, throw him in there. Not super um, sad, but throw him in there. Jean Montero, maybe Kennedy mm-hmm. Chandler, uh, maybe JD Davison. Although another guy that I think has been a bit underwhelming, um, not necessarily to me, who had him at twenty seven to start the season, but I think that people would consider him underwhelming. And then like the potential for guys like Tyrese Hunter, Taron Armstrong. Um, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? Too deep. Yeah, we're at too deep. Too deep at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think the answer is probably fact. Thinking back on this, so just, just for it is here and now too, because 2019. All right, it, it's John Morant, Darius Garland, Kobe White. If you're not a huge Kobe White fan, you're not a believer in Darius Garland. Maybe no, no, it's, like it's, they're, they're, it's not even close. I don't think okay. with that class. Yeah, I, I mean, Jaw is so I'm, far I'm ahead of these guys. Creating. Like, yes. like Darius Garland and Jaden Ivey are like pretty close. I think in terms of prospects, and then you throw fucking Jaw Moran on there. Yeah, there's no chance. Um, hmm. I mean, like. Do we think Jade and Ivy and D'Angelo Russell are like pretty close? Like I had D'Angelo Russell at I think four or five that year and he went number two. Like Yeah, it's 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 hard because again I'm not trying to to change the past, but I think D'Lo's more of his game has changed some since the NBA. I think some yeah, of the stuff totally. people are the new stuff about has are slowed him yeah. down quite a bit. Yeah. Um and then like you still have Moutier and then like the big group below. So it's basically like Moutier versus all of these other guys and, and like all of these and other Moutier, Moutier then too because yeah, Moutier, Moutier did, did have buzz he was potentially going to be a thing like people were surprised he slid down to where he was yeah I really really liked him um, I did I missed I missed on him <laughs> I would say fact to this question but it's a really good question uh and I think it's close. The problem is that I'm just... I, I think that there are some people who would answer fiction to this question. Because I, mm-hmm. I think that there was more steam behind Moutier than there is behind Ty Ty right now. Maybe if we include Dyson Daniels, it might be fiction. I don't know. Like, I don't know if Dyson's going to play point at the NBA level. I think he's probably more of like a two. Um, hmm. 
Yeah. This is like the most like equivocating, like hemming and hawing answer in the history of like game theory <laughs> yeah. podcast lore. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of uh, editing, and I'm sure circling back when when people say you forgot this guy, that guy. But I, yeah, I, I knew is, it would be good good brain candy for you to dive into the notebook and, and see yeah. where we went wrong. This is this is definitely a um, a podcast that I edit. Uh, substantially too let me tell you <laughs> no you, you know what you know what this is and this is gonna sound funny i'm gonna go to bed i'm gonna wake up at 6 a.m my son's screaming for me to go pick him up and i'm gonna look at my phone and it'll say text from sam vicini i'll be like this is gonna be something watch he's, he's gonna he's gonna reply to this uh that fourth question i have the answer now no uh maybe it's possible yeah i think it's close to the 2015 class i think i would say fact that you're right that this is the worst group since then um if we say the 2015 group is even better than it, like you start to really kind of go back. I mean, the 2014 class, like you said, had Marcus Smart, who some people weren't sure is a point guard. Dante Exum, who people like weren't sure was a point guard. Much of the same. Like Dante Exum was like the Ivy in terms of like what people thought positionally of what he would be. Yep. Um, you know, Peyton, I, I, I had like a, outside of the top 20 grade on Alfred Payton. Um, Zach Levine was like definitely a shooting guard at that point, not a lead guard. 2013 was, Oh, 2013 is kind of dire. I remember this now. Trey Burke and MCW. Not great. Yeah. It's Trey Burke, MCW, um, Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. This, this class is better than that class in terms of lead guards. But, um, I think that that's probably where you have to get back to. I'm with it. Okay. Fact or fiction? Paulo Boncaro and Chet Holmgren are the only two players that have real potential to go number one overall. Ooh, good question. I'm, I'm, hmm, today, 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 today. I'm going to go fiction. I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tide here a little bit because. Jabari Smith's at least going to be in the mix. Not saying he's necessarily going to be the guy, but GMs and teams are going to do their homework. There's still, it, man, Paolo's been so good, and Chet kind of had that like one hiccup game against Texas where they still won by a million and, and Drew Timmy had 50 or, or whatever it was, and people are saying, oh, I don't know if he can do it. And then he he goes back and, and has the game against UCLA, and it's like, ooh, that's that's the guy. So Jabari Smith, when I watched the what was it UConn game the other day, where it was bad to, to start, and it was the first game that I thought he was like forcing it a little bit, but yep. then when he came alive late to keep a minute and, and made some plays, he, he yeah, went he, off the he dribble, had a catch and shoot three, I think yep. at the end of the first half that really started to like click in. They run like a little mid post um, action to get him in a mismatch. I think it might've been against a guard. It might've been Tyrese Martin, which isn't like a huge mismatch just in terms of like strength, but in terms of size, I mean, he could just right. shoot over the top of him pretty easily. Um, and he missed that shot short and I thought that he was going to get a little frustrated, but then the next possession they got him like a DHO pick and pop to be able to get him going a little bit off of a catch and shoot three. And I mean, holy shit, that guy can shoot like that. Oh, that yeah. is that is a forty percent three point shooter. And and beyond just the shooting, it's that the physicality 
early, just bothered him a little bit. Adama Snogo is an absolute beast. He, he's fantastic. And Whaley was was did Whaley play that game? Did I say that? Yeah, I think he did. Then he got hurt. Whaley played the next yeah. one, right? No, he, Whaley. He, he, got, he got hurt and set out the next one. I think he fainted at the end of like the second game. Um, yeah, Wh- Whaley but, but, dealt with um, Whaley dealt with Smith a lot. They they did Sonogo on Kessler. And then Whaley on Smith quite a bit. And then Martin dealt with them a little bit whenever they had one of Whaley and Sonogo off the court. Um, by the way, like Adama Sonogo just like beasted Walker Kessler in that game. Oh, he's, he's a monster, which, which is ironic because sometimes Walker Kessler does the stuff and you think maybe like he, he had that move where he was like beat. He recovered and blocked a shot above the rim with like his offhand. I said, I remember that guy. There's a chance. And for Jabari, like he had just and then didn't Walker take, Kessler take, avoids contact for like six straight takes, possessions, take, and you're yeah, like, take, no, takes I'm the good. Fade away. It's like we're back. But Jabari, when he had that drive in the second half, where he, he took it off the bounce, he gets to the rim, he kind of like adjusts and plays through contact. You could see the wheels are turning. Like, all right, I can get my points this way. It doesn't have to just be traditional trail hit threes, or he can catch a baseline, rip through, and, and try to finish. He's really intriguing, man, and like the lateral quickness at his size, and the way he defends and can move, and he was switched onto a guard in, in like a pick-and-roll switch, and he's not worried. He's not like looking around like, ah, switch back. Like He, he can go from there and, and still defend and, and box out, so I'm, yeah, I'm going fiction because I, I, I do believe in, in him having a, a chance to be there. Uh, it's but those two guys at the top are, are pretty dang good. Yeah, I agree with you on this. I would say fiction for what it's worth. Um, but I thought it was important to have the conversation about Paulo and Chet coming into tonight uh, because yeah. I, I do think that they're my top two players. But I think Smith is right there and is so interesting in the way that he can shoot and can switch as well defensively. Like he is a legitimate switch defender. He's also considerably younger than Chet Holmgren. Is he not? I think it's like almost a year and a half or something. Is that much? I have to look off the top of my head. It's a, it's exactly a year. Um, almost. So he's like a full year younger than Chet. Uh, and I think the teams will like think of where Jabari is and see him as like maybe a, not a big, but is like a true wing that is six foot ten and could be like Paul George in terms of a shot maker if things like really broke right with him as a ball yeah. handler. If, if his mobility off the bounce could get there, which he, he's not there yet. But hey, we, we've seen stranger things happen with with good development programs and where yeah. prospects can end up. Okay, you are up now uh, have, with your final I'm, factor. Yes, fiction. this this is my fir- my last like real question that I, that I have like a parody question at the end. This is my last real okay. one. So Gonzaga fans, let's stay on Gonzaga because I'm sure we're going through that point guard battle, and people are saying, "Where's Andrew Nembhard? He's the best point guard in the country." So my question to you is: There will be multiple players from Gonzaga that are drafted in the first round. In the first round. Fact or fiction? I would say fiction to this right now. I really like Drew Timmy. I think I'm higher on him than consensus. I'm intrigued by Andrew Nemhard, and I'm impressed with the improvement he's made as a jump shooter. Like, that's the biggest yeah, thing. Um, shooting 39% on very, very limited attempts so far. If the shooting holds... I think he could be like a mid-second guy. I don't know that I see first round for Nemhard. The guy that I think 
there are two guys, obviously, in Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman uh, that could burst into that. I'm less high on Salas. I think that Hickman has a chance. I mean, he's knocked down 35 from three. Uh, he isn't turning the ball over. He's definitely playing like off the ball as a two guard. And I think teams will want to see a more expanded offensive role with him as a distributor before drafting him in the first round. I'm telling you, the guy that I think has the biggest shot is Julian Strother. I love him. I love him. I have a 22nd right now, which is, I, I know, insane. But I, I think it's high. Then you go back, you watch the games, you watch how he scores, you, you see his size. And I think there's a chance there. There is. I, I don't know if he has this crazy, explosive offensive thing where he catapults himself into real conversations there. But maybe. Maybe. I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's also you look at at Andrew Nembhard, and he's going to be he is a senior, but he's a young senior. He turns twenty two in January, I believe. There's all this hubbub with Gonzaga. They brought in two guards, combo guards, and Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, both top thirty, top forty guys. And Andrew Nembhard has has been the guy. He's he's every cliche. He's the straw that stirs the drink. Whatever. He's big. At six foot five, and he controls the tempo. If you want to run, he can push. Yeah. You need to play in the half court. He can orchestrate your offense, well, and make the right decision on the shot clock. It's just, it's yeah. always you, you know what you're getting. I'm, I'm even sort of like writing off that UCLA game where he was awesome and had like 24 points. Every other game, he's getting guys involved. He picks his own spots, and then from the field, he's at 52. percent And I don't know if the three point shot is real. It's always hovered around like 30 percent, and better like it's gotten better every year it's it's 39 ish now gotta see where it it closes out seems people were super super into like slotting him up draft boards after one game but uh they're they're pretty loaded so there's a chance nemhard strother could be a a sneaky name too yeah and the thing with nemhard is that i think he actually does operate much better in an up-tempo game uh that's not to say that he's poor as a half court distributor, I think he's really good at running their scheme. Like they run that ball screen continuity stuff. He'll throw entry passes to the high post and then they run like high low stuff. You know, um, he'll run like side ball screens, get it back to the middle and then try and find a kick out shooter. Like he's really, really smart within that scheme. But I really worry about the lack of scoring if the shooting isn't real. Um, I, I think right. it's going to be really, really hard for him to score at the next level. I think it's like very clear that Julian Strother is a better prospect than him. Like, I don't yep. even think it's really all that close. Like Julian Strother is two weeks younger than, or two weeks older, I believe than Chet Holmgren and is a real shooter. Like he is hitting 48% from three ball looks clean coming out of his hand. He makes really good reads as a cutter. He finds open shots that way. The two things that I think are holding him back right now and why I think that like he might end up coming back for a, third year and i think it'd be fine if he did um we we have no idea what he can do in terms of being a passer that like makes reads uh he's just like not his role right like that's not what he's five assists all year in six games yeah so like that's just not I, i would like to see more about what his decision making and overall feel for the game looks like and then number two i think he's a little slower footed defensively than what I would like to see from that kind of role. Um, you'd almost like to see him either get stronger and bigger and be able to deal with bulkier guys, or you'd like to see him like thin down. Like I, I almost feel like he's like he, his listed weight is like six seven two oh five, 
and that's like ideal weight for a small forward in the NBA right now, right? Yeah, but, around 205, 210, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he's, in terms of the way that it manifests itself on the court, he's somewhere like in the middle of being able to guard guards and switches and bigs and like you know other other players and i just worry if he's in that like dead zone defensively a little bit he does too much stuff offensively for me to be like super worried uh i really like him might might be your way if he comes back to school it's going to be a incredible jump for sophomore. yeah no i i agree like i I, look i I think julian strother is like a very real prospect that nobody is talking about like i have him somewhere in the top 60 right now um and I feel like nobody else, nobody's talking. No, why is nobody talking about him? Can we figure that out? Uh, I don't think so. I, because you, you watch, you watch Gonzaga, and there's already there's only so many headlines. So Drew Timmy is an absolute electric factory. I mean, he he scores. He lets you know about it every single play. Chet is the projected. So he's Timmy's like player of the year candidate, right? Then you have <laughs> Chet Holmgren, who's projected first. Pick in the draft, maybe second to pick in the draft. And now Gonzaga fans are saying, well, wait a minute, Andrew Nembhard is the best point guard in America. So you have those three guys just dominating stories that Julian Strother, as good as he is, is like four-page news. And it, it's not for us because I, I kind of see beyond a lot of that stuff. But he, he's hiding in plain sight for many as the term is being used. Um, Yeah, the, the whole like best point guard thing in the country is kind of wild to me with Andrew Nembhard. Like I, well, look, we, we I, just, I really we just like Nembhard. We just rattled off ten point cards we don't like who might go in the first round. So I get the at least discussion point. Yeah, but like Jaden Ivey plays point guard. I mean, like let's just call Kinda. it what it is. Like he's the Kinda. one that's but he's the one that's stirring the drink at, at Purdue. He's stirring right? drinks. Like, he is. He's making cocktails. Like I guess that like Eric Hunter and Isaiah Thompson are out there, but like Jaden Ivey's the one that's like the lead guard at Purdue. And it's really difficult for me to say that Andrew Nemhard is better than Jaden Ivey. Nemhard's probably somewhere in the top five in terms of effectiveness. But I, but like even like see like for me like I even like Colin Gillespie a little bit more to be honest. Oh, so, um, he's he's a good one. The bad guy, he, bad guy. Yeah, just you know takes a ton of threes, makes them at forty percent. Just as good in terms of dictating tempo. I think he has a little bit more game to be able to get to his own shot while being just as good of a passer and decision maker as Nemhard. Uh, if anything, I think he limits turnovers even more than what Nemhard does. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, I, I really like Andrew Nemhard. Gonzaga fans, I'm very sorry about this. You guys have been so great to me over it's the years. It's Sam I, underscore Vicini. <laughs> and I definitely look at my mentions regularly, let me tell you. <laughs> you said you were um, off for a while. I think you're back. Um, I'm trying to stay off of it, to be honest. I'm getting better at it. Um, But yeah, no, like I really like Andrew Demhard. He's been phenomenal this year. I thought that game against UCLA was incredibly effective. I mean, he just was so, so dominant against anything that they presented to him. And he did a great job of getting out at tempo and getting out into pace and really playing the game that Gonzaga wanted to. Uh, he was the one that won them that game, I thought. But, yeah, not not quite the number one point guard in the country for me. Definitely a top five guy. Hmm. Okay. That's all I've got. You said you had a couple of shoot-offs, though. 
Do you uh, want to get I, to? I, I have one shoot off. If you're done with your actual basketball I'm done NBA with... draft, okay. This yeah. is the uh, this is a miscellaneous mixed bag comment section, comment box. My factor fiction. We're in the holiday season here. We're officially Christmas mode. Winter holidays here. Fact or fiction, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Oh, oh what a question, Penny. <laughs> that is a beauty fact, I think. Oh, yeah. This is a polarizing one. I'm going fiction. I, I don't I know it. how you necessarily... I can get it. They have like a holiday party, but like I don't know. Like for me, here's the thing: I'm a huge Home Alone fan, um, unabashed, enormous Home Alone fan. I can't watch it till December first because that's just my thing. You can't watch it in March. You can't watch it in July. I know people do. It's just like crazy to me. It's like wearing shorts in the middle of winter when the snow's coming down. For Die Hard, I feel like that's such a year-round movie where you don't get in the Christmas spirit when you watch it. So I get that. I, I think that's like a totally reasonable argument. Like, is the idea the spirit of it, or is the idea the setting of the film and the environment that the film takes place in? You might have convinced me, to be honest. Like the, the there, a movie there, there, like I, Home Alone or something <laughs> like that is better. By the way, like within the trust tree here, you know, game theory listeners only. Shout <laughs> yeah, out! There's, you there's guys. a lot of people in, in said tree. Yeah, you know, the the tens of thousands of you that listen. Shh, just be quiet. Um, I've only seen Home Alone once. Oh my gosh! Like today or, or ever? Once of in my all life, the stuff I've seen, seen it once. Oh my god! But yeah. no. Okay, I got to process here for a second. Have you seen Home Alone too? Lost in New York. This is wild. Probably <laughs> when I was very young, but I have zero memory of it. So do you? Do you have like a? This is by the way. You, this is where like the age difference between the two of us, because you're five years older than me, like really age, comes this up. This is ageist. This is really ageist. So so what do you do then for the holidays? What are your, your go tos? Like for example, Halloween season, you got to watch Hocus Pocus. You got to watch Nightmare Before Christmas. That kind of straddles the line between the two of them. There's stuff that's very seasonal. So for for holidays, do you change? Or you just stay straight noir the whole time throughout the year. Twelve months of darkness. <laughs> Well, like the problem, <laughs> the the problem is Home that so alone. many this of is far too uplifting. Kevin so McAllister. many of the Oscar movies come out around Christmas. So, like, whenever I find myself watching movies, I'm tr- like trying to find like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like this year. So we went to see the French Dispatch or, or on <laughs> Thursday, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I love Wes Anderson, and I think people who've listened to the podcast know that I'm an enormous Wes Anderson fan. Um, really enjoyed it, but like that—that's probably what I'm going to be more inclined to find. I will say though, when did when did Happiest Season come out? Was that last year? Uh, I'm trying yeah, to think. It was. you told me to watch. It, I watched it. Was it last year? or The year before? It was last year, and yep. that is one of my favorite holiday movies I've seen uh, in a long time. I've really, really enjoyed that. Like, really, truly just had, like, an absolute blast watching that movie. Yeah, I think we're just... I think our, our Christmas... Slash holiday, not just Christmas. Our holiday alignment on movies is uh, a little a little different. So, wait. How, how many Home Alone sequels have you seen? There, so, so here's the deal. This, that's a very good question. Yeah. <laughs> looking uh, at this list right now... By the way, there's apparently one... There's apparently one that came no, out, like, two weeks we ago. We do... We do not recognize that. It's one and two, and then we're done. Like, Macaulay okay. Culkin's out. The Wet Bandits, the real ones are out. And then it's just, like, studios reinventing stuff that what wasn't really the essence of, of Home Alone. By my the way... Told, this... my, my cousin told me once that Home Alone 3 was their favorite Home Alone. I, I didn't talk to him for the rest of the day. So that's that's not an answer. We can't do that. 
what the fuck is this? There is a movie on Disney Plus called Home Sweet Home Alone that just came yeah, out two I weeks think ago. That's like that's like the new one. That's just like taking the title, and I'm sure they'll do this in 20 years for for Fast and Furious 56, where there's no Rock, there's no Vin Diesel. It's just them recreating the name and repurposing. This movie has like real actors, like the the kid is Archie Yates, the kid from Jojo Rabbit that everyone loved. Um, and then Rob Delaney, Ellie Kemper, Andy Daly, Keenan Thompson, Timothy Simons, uh, Pete Holmes, and like Mikey Day. Like the, uh, you could you is, could say any name, and I'm not watching that movie. You can't do it. Yeah, it's too pure. It's like you, you know. I, I know this is like the the equation. This is the algorithm that that movie studios use. It's a a blockbuster. It's a franchise. It's a remake or the handful of good art house movies a year that just get nominated for all the Academy Awards. But just don't, some stuff you just don't touch. Like, you don't remake Point Break. I can't see Point Break 2, like, Point More Break or whatever the heck it was. Just, like, leave, leave the that classics was, alone. Uh, are you talking about the one with uh, Luke Bracey? No. Because that was a movie the, that I, uh, that was a movie I worked on when I worked at uh, Nielsen. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> my point is this. You're not having Keanu Reeves, right? Like, it's it's just, it's different. And I have Patrick Swayze. Like, it's just, it's so iconic that some of the stuff is, like, I don't know. Yeah, like, look, uh, the the second Point Break movie's bad. The it, It's like a total remake with extreme sports. But, right, instead it's, just, of, uh, it's, it's just different. It's, it's using the name, but the movie's, like, completely different. Like, there's there's usually yeah. subtle head nods to, to what it can be, and but it's just not the same. It's different in that, like, you, you're doing Batman and, and taking a completely different direction, or James Bond. Those yeah. are, are different than, like, standalone one-off movies. Huh. How, how many of the sequels for Home Alone can you name? No, none. One, Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Not interested in any others. There's been a bunch. I know that. Yeah, there, there are six. There are five it's... Home Alone sequels. <laughs> five too many beyond that. Yeah, they do one basically every five years, it looks like. Uh, the last yeah. ten, it, it's taken ten years each of the last two times. Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House. Uh, and. <laughs> Home Alone, The Holiday Heist, which is an uh, ABC this, this, family movie. This is good because you just can imagine 15 people sitting around like a long conference table throwing out ideas. Like, that's it. That include heist. How do we do the home? We're back. Party again. Yeah, it's not for me. What, what if it's Home Alone, but without all of the things that made it likable in the first place? Right, right, right. How about I that? I would completely reimagine this. Yeah. What, what, if, it's, what if it's Home Alone... But TV movie. <laughs> yes, that's that's basically what it's become. Oh my god! Yeah, this is a this is the last what? So the last three have been like essentially TV movies. I'm counting Home Sweet Home Alone as a TV movie because it's that's on Disney Plus and depressing. Um, yeah. Then, then again, though, like, look, I spent like my last three days binge watching Selling Sunset, which is like just the greatest <laughs> like thing on the planet to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's different. I did I did watch a couple other things. I watched. Um, I started watching Tiger King season two. That was a mistake. Should have done that. Yeah, uh, I, Laura asked me if I wanted to watch that with her, and I was like, I think I'm gonna pass. I think you're good. I watched with, the I think first you're good episode, and I was like, Ah, this is jump the shark or jump the tiger, I guess. And then I watched the uh, the Kid Cudi documentary on on Amazon Prime, which for me 
if you do anything that talks about like artist creative process, like in the studio, like, oh, the beat came to me like this, or that lyric was that, and that guy just turned the synthesizer, like, I'm in. They did that for about half the movie, so I enjoyed that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, that is one place where our college overlap was probably pretty real. Like, Kid Cudi was definitely a thing when I was in college. Ah, like, Man on the Moon was, was unbelievable then, and then I, I sort of revisited it after the documentary. I'm like, I forgot how, how good this was start to finish. Yeah, like, that was a that was a thing in the, like, you know, what, late 2000s? 2009 um, was Man on the Moon, I think. Yeah, it's a you know even like 2012 then again though like i went to college in ohio so like it's i would imagine that like the the shelf life for kid cuddy was a bit longer there <laughs> yeah. didn't hear the new stuff yeah um because like yeah I don't, I don't even know when the last time kid cuddy came out with an album was to be honest uh yeah it depends because he, he's done some group stuff he's done his own stuff he's kind of bounced around yeah, looks like he has a 2015. Oh god, he has a lot of new music. Um, yeah, the last thing I listened to was probably in 2013, and then like he has 2014, 2015. I've missed the last four basically of Kid Cudi. So what can you do? This is a yeah. uh, this is me uh, proving my uh, my lack of hipness maybe <laughs> when it comes to new I don't music. Know about that. You shut that home alone. You're, you're hip enough shut down um all right i think that we're gonna call it there uh this wasn't too bad we did like 120 this is this is a normal episode i think a new record yeah new record for us okay uh penny tell the people where they can find you i think we're gonna have some good stuff here coming up in the next few days just to um you know maybe make some make some audiograms maybe even like promote the podcast on social media I i like that yeah i did one today uh i'm on twitter Matt underscore Penny, and I, I, I do want to say is, uh, again, kind of like a, an early holiday-ish. We just had Thanksgiving, what we're we thankful for. I, I did want to thank you, Sam, for allowing me to be on this platform with you and talk draft stuff, and, and also just kind of being out at events when people come up and say, hey, man, we love the show, <laughs> Lo- love you guys talking and stuff. And it's weird because I honestly, like, I plug in and I feel like it's us just talking the draft, and then you forget that people listen to it on the way for work, and whatever else to, to make fun of us and inform or what have you. So I, I do appreciate that stuff. It's, it's crazy. Um, but um, I'm glad to be here and recording every so often with you. So that's it. You stink. Watch home alone. Matt underscore penny. We, we need too, to can't be too positive here. We need to come up with something that people can say to you in the wild when they see you. <laughs> that's our, uh, yeah, they have some password. Yeah, there there will be a password for uh, Matthew Penny when people yeah, see him at events and uh, things. It's crazy. Um, it's always like offsetting because I'm like I'm just watching games, man. I don't know. Yeah, there's legitimately nothing that I enjoy more than hearing that people come up and accost you. In oh, it's not public. A, it's, it's not. It's not a cost. It's like it's it's honestly, man. It's just wild. It's, I don't know how we got here. It's the best. There, there are yeah. like legitimately quite a few people who listen to the show, so it's so nice. Um, please continue to um, bother Matt Penny in public anytime you see <laughs> yes. him. Um, he enjoys it. I get a kick out of it. It's my favorite thing on the planet, seriously, because Matt is the best. Um, please go rate, review, subscribe. We need to, um, we need to figure out something to do with ratings and reviews that would be fun because that would be. Uh, 
could be a way to like just get the listeners a little bit more involved. Maybe maybe we'll brainstorm I, I like some that. ideas. Yeah, Benny. brainstorm some ideas from that. Maybe it's a a question section. Write in, do something, read the best reviews. I don't know, but there's something there. There's more. Yeah, it's at some point we probably need to actually think about like how, how to promote this podcast in a way that you know we currently don't really do so thank you all for finding this podcast uh somehow even though it's just like in the wild and i don't know how people find it um i really appreciate all the listeners i'm very very grateful and very thankful uh for everyone who listens to the show but uh we'll be back next week i'm gonna do uh, a couple of nba shows next week for sure as well as a draft show um maybe like a full stop feast week recap uh with penny and i next week but until then and until next time we will talk soon bye